everyone, I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This episode is one of a number that we are recording alongside uh, On Helix, a digital conference that's been hosted by One Nucleus. Um, in line with this, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick McCook, uh, a serial entrepreneur who has been at the forefront of developing one of the key technologies, next generation sequencing, um, that has catalyzed the, the biopharma uh, revolution in the past two decades. So uh, Nick is currently the CEO of Longus Technologies, a Sydney-based startup uh, that is developing approaches to improve dramatically the performance of industry standard NGS platforms. So having been at the birth of NGS uh, as a founder of uh, Selexa, a Cambridge-based company that uh, he floated on NASDAQ, um, and and the company was subsequently uh, acquired by Illumina. He was also chief business officer at DNE, uh, which uh, has moved NGS into the hands of the clinician. So Nick, um, I, I hope you and those you care about are uh, keeping safe and well, and thanks so much for joining me. Mike, thanks very much. Um, it's a pleasure to take part in this, and uh, also thanks for the introduction. Great, great. So, uh, as I mentioned in, in that introduction, uh, you were one of the pioneers of what we now call you know, next generation sequencing. I think it might be helpful uh, for the audience if you could just you know, explain what was the stating, status of sequencing technology at the time and you know, what triggered the, sort of the creation of Selexa? Yes, it, it's an interesting question. We're going 20 years back, of course, uh, a little while ago. Um, we, we started setting up Selexa in 2000, um, and, and at that time, uh, the Human Genome Project was was very much coming to its, you know, final stages, and it was accelerating as well. It was during that later period when actually a lot of the sequencing got done, and that was because the latest version of the ABI sequencer became available, um, the machine originally developed by Hood, Smith, um, and Hunkerpiller. Um, and that was a 96-lane uh, capillary machine. And that's, that, that's a machine that went into all the big sequencing factories, like, like the Sanger, um, that were really churning away at the, at the Human Genome Project. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought that was the pinnacle of sequencing in a way. Um, but at that time, there were a number of small groups around the world, around the world that were thinking about actually how to take sequencing on to the, the next level. Um, and these, these, these groups came at the idea, you know, independently. I don't think they knew of each other's existence. But the general or the common theme to the, those ideas was massive paralyzation. In other words, not trying really to improve each step, the efficiency from one step to another, but actually to do millions of interrogations in parallel and that's that was really the whole secret of mgs um to to massively parallel parallelize the the sequencing process um so i think the, the final abi machine could do about uh, a million bases a day uh, something like that so huge improvement of where what had gone before um, but next generation sequencing took that to a completely different level. Um, so, so the the team um, founding team at Cambridge um, had the idea um, 
that you could create a single molecule array of DNA templates, a, a massively parallel array, and interrogate all of those with a with a chemistry. Um, and um, that that's how Selexa came into being, really, to to develop that technology. Um, it needed a completely novel um, sequence in chemistry, uh, which was invented and developed in the company. Um, uh, but, but as time went by, the, the idea of single molecule um, arrays, um, we really struggled with that. We hit a brick wall, in fact, we couldn't take it any further. And um, that's when another group came into play. Um, we found a, a technology uh, developed by a group in Switzerland, um, and uh, we acquired that, that technology. Um, and really the, the platform that got developed and launched was a combination of um, what's called the Selexa chemistry, the sequencing chemistry, and the array technology that we acquired um, from the Swiss company. Right, and, and, and when, when was that acquisition? Uh, that was probably about 2004, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So uh, it, it's, it's thought of as being Cambridge technology, but the truth of it is it's, it's a Cambridge and Swiss technology. Um, and uh, I tell that story really to, to, to some degree to um, you know, even up the, 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 um, the landscape in terms of giving credit to, to all the people that were involved in, in developing the platform. Oh, yeah. So putting some flesh around the Selexa myth um, that, that was created. So you, you took Selexa, though, um, you, you floated on NASDAQ and um, and then you left the business um, and Selexa was acquired by Luma. Over that period of time from, you know, from the creation to flotation, you know, with that, obviously, that subsequent acquisition, um, what what actually what had Selexa achieved? What was it that first allowed you to get that uh, that uh, NASDAQ flotation? And then obviously what attracted Lumina? Yeah, yeah. So um, at the time of, um, it's, it was strictly a NASDAQ listing because we reversed into a, to a, a listed NASDAQ company rather than floated, but the same effect. Um, at that point, we'd, uh, we'd acquired the Swiss technology. Uh, and actually, once we acquired that, we started to make very rapid pro- progress, applying our chemistry to their, to their array technology. Um, and we'd sequenced um, PhiX, which is the rites of passage organism that all companies developing sequencing technology sequence, um, which is about 5,000 bases, something like that. So we'd done that. So the technology was, was working. Um, but it was very much at a breadboard stage. So that's where we were when, when uh, we listed, or, yeah, when we listed. Um, and th- then the company effectively became an American company listed on NASDAQ and with, a, with an operation in, uh, in California. Um, and the next stage was development of the instrumentation. And by the time of the Illumina acquisition, um, the first product had been launched. I mean, very much a beta instrument but it had been launched there was an instrument out there with a with a selexa label on it yeah so luminal yeah. rain to see to, to see to see a technology which was which was essentially working lots of bugs and all the rest of it but but, but basically a working technology yeah so 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 uh, yeah 
I mean, you weren't there at the time of the Lumen acquisition, um, but it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on, you know, what was it that, you know, the acquisition of, of those technologies um, that were you know, housed at Selexa, what, what did that allow Illumina to do um, with NGS? Yeah, well, it, it completely transformed Illumina. I mean, they, they were an array company, um, actually doing quite well, um, but their business became a sequencing business. So what, what, what they were before continues even to this day, um, but of course their, their business is completely driven by, by the sequencing business. So it, it transformed them, it transformed them as an organization completely. Yeah. Uh, but, but in terms of, sort of the application of NGS, because, you know, uh, you know, with the human genome program, um, you know, sequencing there, it was very much a research tool. And that was, you know, certainly it, it appeared in the early days uh, of NGS. It, it, it was a research tool. Were they able to do, you know, push the, sort of the, the markets in, in, into a different place? Oh, I think they did a number of things. Um, I mean, yes, I mean, it, it started as a research tool. I think it is still a very important research tool as well. I think I think maybe clinical applications grab the headlines, but um, I don't know the numbers, but I, I would imagine probably sales into the research environment probably still, still dominate. Um, but the future clearly is, is, is a push into the clinical applications, and some of those have been around for a few years now. Um, so I, I think Lumen did two things. They, I mean, two, two big things. I mean, they, they continued to improve on the technology. So what it's capable of doing today is you know, far more than it was at the time of the acquisition. And they, they've, they've broadened the range of applications, and yes, particularly as you point out, uh, moved, moved into the clinical space, which, which is very important. And I, I suspect their the value today is, is, is partly attributed to the opportunity they have going forward into, into the diagnostic space. Sure. And, and um, I mean, so think about, so when you were there at this sort of the foundation of Selexa, um, you would have got your business plans, potential addressable market, did it did it develop the way that you you were anticipating? And for example, you know, with what Illumina has been able to do, um, I think the honest answer is we didn't see it in its entirety, and and I, I don't think anyone did. And to be honest, I, I think if anyone says they saw it all from the beginning with great clarity, I simply wouldn't believe them. I don't don't think anyone did. Um, we knew we were working on something important, uh, something big. Um, we had that sense, um, but could we see all the varied applications that it might be applied to? And no, no, I, 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 I don't think we did, and I don't think anyone did. Um, we knew it. We knew it would be transformative, but we didn't know the specifics of how. Um, okay. You know, we. we um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go on. As you Sorry. say, company meetings, we, we, we talked about it. We talked about working on something of great import. But, but um, so we, we had that sense, you know, the privilege of working on something like that. We definitely had that, but we, we, we couldn't see all the details. I mean, essentially, it was a, a, a revolutionary tool which put into the hands of 
creative scientists all around the world led to you know explosion of, of uh, new projects and applications and, and so forth. Yeah. So you, you mentioned about sort of you know, clinical uh, clinical use. Um, these days, a lot of life sciences companies talk about being patient centric, uh, putting the patient at heart. I just wonder, next generation sequencing, has it sort of provided any sort of your know, tangible benefits to patients that, that actually patients might be aware of? Well, there's nothing more personal than the genome. So it is, it is at the heart of personalized medicine. Um, and I think a lot is hidden because a lot, a lot of its use goes into uh, the development of, um, you know, into drug development and pe people may not see the connection between the drugs they're given and, and uh, NGS. But as a diagnostic tool, of course, it, it is, it is coming much more to the fore. So, you know, a, a cancer patient, you know, it could be involved in, in diagnosis, uh, prognosis, uh, choice of treatment, uh, and follow-up post-treatment. So NGS could be involved in, in, you know, the whole patient journey there. So I think it is something that people are becoming, well, if they don't necessarily know that the technique is used for diagnostic or, or so forth, maybe they're not familiar, but they're certainly becoming, you know, engaged with the technology, whether they know it or not. So, um, you know, in 2020, we're seeing a lot of the life sciences industry, you know, redeploying, you know, its resources, its assets to tackle the, uh, the sort of the challenges unleashed by the sort of COVID-19 pandemic. What role might next generation sequencing have uh, in the sort of development of solutions to, to, to the pandemic? Well, it's, it's, all, it's been involved from the beginning, really. Um, you know the, the sequencing of the um, you know the viral genome um, you know very very quickly um, of course was done using NGS um, tracking the mutation of, of, of you know the viral genome as it, as it spreads around the world is is being done with NGS um, you know the diagnostics uh, um, you know derived from the knowledge of the sequence so. So that's relevant to that. I, I'm sure there's drug development going on, which, which is, um, you know, which uses knowledge derived from from uh, sequencing. So I think it's just, you know, it's typical. NGS has become just part of the fabric of the life sciences now. It's an essential tool, and um, so so any endeavour really um, in the life sciences is is likely to use NGS at some point. Uh, it's a little bit, little bit like uh, PCR, which became ubiquitous. Um, you know, you can't imagine doing work in the in the biological sciences without using PCR. And I think the same is true of, uh, of NGS. Now, it's it's just a ubiquitous, universal tool. Yeah, and of course, as I said, you know, you were there at the start, so you've seen <clears throat> you've seen the evolution from it. You know, going from research into into more these sort of these clinical, these diagnostic applications. You're now CEO of Longus Technologies. What what are the sort of the technical uh, challenges that you know, Longus is is seeking to uh, to address? And, and you know, what is what it, what do you think the solution is to those those challenges? 
Yes. So um, the world of sequencing, well, you can divide it in lots of different ways, but one of the ways people divide it um, commonly is between long read sequences, uh, sequencing platforms that can can read long lengths of DNA and short read sequences. And the the dominant technology in the market is the Illumina sequencing platform, which which is a short read sequencer. Back in Selexa days when we developed the technology, that that's just an inherent part of that way of sequencing. You you sequence you know 150 bases, something like that, fragments of 150, 150 bases. Now I, I think for lots of applications that's absolutely fine. You don't need you don't need more than that, and it's extremely accurate and it's very cost effective. So it's a very attractive platform, and that's why it's been very successful. But there are occasions when you do need to. Um, to, to generate long reads uh, and the Illumina platform can't do that. So, um, you, know, you know, when you want to look at structural variation, uh, you want to uh, distinguish um, homologous regions of the genome, uh, you want to get into repetitive regions, etc. There are lots of uh, applications where where long read is really what you want. So our, our our thought was, well, what what how would it look if we could basically allow all those short read sequences out there to become long read sequences when you needed to do a long read project or experiment? Um, so that's what we've done. We've, we've developed a technology which effectively converts short read sequences like Illumina, but others too. Um, to, to behave as a long read sequencer, so they can do all those things I talked about a moment ago. Um, right. So, so, and how long is a long read? Uh, well, um, we've been generating reads uh, using an Illumina sequencer as an example of about uh, ten kilobase. Um, so that's ten kilobase compared to one hundred and fifty bases. So it's it's a huge difference. Once you get over about um, you seven thousand bases, something like that. You seven to eight thousand. You can really then start to get into the dark matter, if you like, of, of the human genome. Um, it, there's a sort of critical length there, um, so we're well over that. So dark matter of <laughs> the human genome. Do you, do you want to sort of define what you mean by that? Well, it, it, if you look at it from the perspective of a, an Illumina sequencer, it basically means those parts of the genome you can't resolve using short reads. So they are the repetitive regions. They're, they're, the, sequen- they're, they're the regions with you know, uh, um, homologous um, um, sequences um, uh, where you get structural variation to be able to locate that uh, you know, where it actually should be placed uh, requires long reads so um that those are the sorts of pieces of work which uh, which benefit from having a long read capability so with our technology someone who's sitting there with a an Illumina sequence so um could actually you know just prepare it and operate it in a way which allows the person to the scientist to to generate long reads for that particular experiment Right, so I mean, you can literally sort of take your t- technology and almost plug and play it with the sort of the yeah. kit that they're they're all they've already got it, on their it, lap bench. It's a different kit, and it requires different data processing. Um, but other than that, you can use you know the the sequence you already 
already have sitting on your bench. You don't have to go out and buy a long read sequencer or, or you know, send your sample away to someone who can run the long read sequencer. You can do it all yourself. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So, it's, and, and where are you in, you know, in the sort of development, you know, of, of doing these long reads? I mean, is this something that is now already sort of, you know, fit for, for, for purpose or do you still have? Yeah, some it is. Concept? I mean, it's not on the market yet because we're, we've decided we want to go to market via a partner. So we're in the process of, of um, seeking the right partner. Um, but in terms of working, yes, I mean, we've, we've demonstrated that we can um, generate um, sequences of uh, whole genome sequences from bacteria at finished quality, which is the ultimate test, if you like. And we've um, sequenced human genomes uh, with, you know, average uh, read length of, of 10 kilobases. And we've shown that we can identify uh, variations, for example, that you wouldn't be able to determine with with um, short reads alone. So, in terms of working, um, it, it works. So, it, there really isn't more to do to demonstrate that it can be improved. And of course, we're carrying on improving it, but um, it works extremely well. The nice thing, actually, is that um, the underlying quality or accuracy of sequence using Illumina sequencing chemistry, the original Selexa chemistry, is extremely good. Um, so using that in a long read uh, modality uh, gives you a really nice result, the best of both worlds, in fact. Right, right. I, I mentioned it, that the, the company's Sydney-based, right? So, yes, yes. You know, so, so what's the, um, you know, what is the sort of the, the anticipated business trajectory for, 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 for Langus? Yes, I, people usually assume I'm, I'm based in Sydney when they see I'm the CEO of the company. But so, so I was working in virtual mode long before lockdown. Um, we're, uh, it, the, the goal is to partner. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for partners who are able to, you know, who have international reach and are able to take the product effectively to market. We, we think that's a better approach than, than trying to uh, build the business out from from where we are at the moment. Right. And the, but the technology was originally developed in, in, in Australia? Oh, yes, it was. It, it, was um, it was developed in, um, in a Sydney-based um, university, University of Technology, Sydney. So that's the reason. It's there. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, as we look to the future, um, and you, you get the crystal ball out, what... what what do you think next generation sequencing uh, you know, might actually be able to deliver that we haven't got to at the moment? And you know, what, what would actually need to happen to, to be able to fulfill that kind of, uh, that kind of dream? Yeah. Um, well, you're asking someone who wasn't entirely accurate back in 2005 and six, but uh, I'll have another go. <laughs> um, but actually in, in 2002, um, I was interviewed by the BBC and, um, I, I predicted we'd, you know, we'd reach a thousand dollar genome. That's better now. Um, actually, I got into a lot of trouble at a conference for, for predicting that. They thought I was being a bit too wild. Um, but uh, I also said in that uh, interview, um, you know, I, I thought the time would come when the human genome would 
our own human gene, our personal genomes, would be part of our our um, approach to you know, personalized healthcare. Where's that effect anyway? Um, and I still think we've got further to go. I mean, it's not as simple, of course, as, as the way I couched it at the time. And you know, it's, it's perhaps not much, as much a technology challenge as well as interpretation and how we use the information. Um, but it seems to me we we haven't got to the, that point that I predicted. And um, I personally, you know, w would like to see, you know, th this 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 thing we have, our own personal genome, being used more and more in the, in the way we manage um, our health or other people help us manage our health. And I think we have we have way to go there yet. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because of course the, the, the original cost of the human genome program uh, was you know, a phenomenal amount of money. So a thousand a thousand dollar genome in two thousand and two might have seemed to be, I can imagine, being wow, that's. Uh, a small I think cost. people but, thought that. <laughs> yeah. How much? How much does it cost now? I think it's in the hundreds. I'm not. Um, I'm not familiar, but I think you know if you use the right machine in the right way, you're you're, you're down to. Yeah, the size. So you're, you're, you're definitely in the right order of magnitude. So one final question. Uh, yeah, I, in the introduction, I mentioned that you, know, you were a serial entrepreneur. Uh, you, you, you've uh, been there at the start of companies. Um, knowing what you now know, if you were able to go back in time, what advice would you give to you know, the young Nick back in sort of 2000, in 1999, when you first sort of came across uh, this, this, this approach? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the sense of, you know, regrets or, or not, I mean, I, a general philosophy of life, I don't, I don't have regrets for anything I've done or didn't do. I mean, I think that's very important. I don't see the point. Um, but press for an answer, it would probably be mates, I'd hang on to you, the Lumina shares for just a little bit longer than you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yes. I mean, that's <laughs> hindsight is always is always twenty twenty, as they say. Yeah. But, uh, but but I don't. I don't have any regrets. <laughs> but I, I but I was just I was just sort of thinking, you know, in terms of you know for for young young entrepreneurs today, you know, was there was there something that you say, for example, did back in two thousand? That actually, you think, wow, that really, that really helped us out there. That I would do that again and again and again. Yeah, I, I think there are two things. I mean, surround yourself with the best. I mean, they're, they're, these are a bit cliched, of course, but surround yourself with the best people you possibly can. I mean, that that's just got to be, you know, the, the best thing you can do. And and the second is, you know, be really stick at it, you know, um, because there will be many bad moments on the journey, um, many good ones, but there'll be many really tough ones where, you, where you're really challenged to, um, you know, your faith in, in, in the project is challenged um, and, and you really have to be strong and, uh, and see, you know, get through those, those points. Um, um, because, because if you waver the first time, you get, you get to one of those crises and um, it's all over. So as, a, so as a serial entrepreneur, does it get any easier? Or do, do you, 
do still always have the sort of the, the, the self-doubt of is this what I should be doing? Well, I think so. You know, I think a bit of self-doubt. So self-doubt's healthy. I mean, it's it's a mixture of you know challenging, but but also you know determination and, and getting that mix mix right. Um, but not, no, things don't get easier because I think if if things look really easy, you've almost certainly missed something. You know, it, it, it's it's the ease and confidence of ignorance, I suspect. So so great, Nick. Uh, yeah, as always, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Um, yeah, I think sort of the other sort of the insights uh, that you provided around NGS. Uh, will be really really interesting to people because you know these days uh you know people kind of take it for granted and yet as you say 20 years ago it's something that we didn't have so uh so thanks very much uh for, for, for taking the time and you know if you'd like to tune into future conversations um follow our linkedin page uh, because that's where we will be posting alerts to to, to future releases so in closing, I'd like to thank uh, Nick again for, for joining us and, and thank everyone for uh, tuning in. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's great to, to, to have these audiences. So until next time, stay safe and health, healthy. And uh, I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode.